You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Rackspace reacts to ransomware, third-party incidents in New Zealand and the Netherlands, Russian intelligence goes fishing, Mustang Panda uses Russia's war as fishbait, a malicious package is found in Pi Kevin McGee from Microsoft Canada shares thoughts on cybersecurity startups in an economic downturn, our guest is Ideology's Christina Luttrell to discuss how consumers feel about digital identity, fraud, security, and data privacy, and a French-speaking investment scam. CyberWire Studios at Data Tribe. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, December 7th, 2022. Rackspace yesterday disclosed that the incident it sustained late last week was in fact a ransomware attack. The attack disrupted the company's hosted exchange environment. Rackspace continues to investigate what, if any, data may have been compromised. R.T. Rahman, CEO and founder of Titanium, emailed us about the incident. She wrote, This latest targeted ransomware attack on a managed cloud computing company demonstrates the immense impact these incidents can have on business success and uptime, It's also a critical reminder that even the most technical organizations can eventually fall victim. It can truly happen to anyone and any company. Which ransomware strain was found or which gang was involved in the attack, Rackspace isn't saying. Its investigation is still in progress, and on its website it reassures customers that it will notify them at once if any customer data is found to have been compromised. Other third-party risks are being reported. RNZ reports that New Zealand's Ministry of Justice and Privacy Commissioner are investigating an attack against Mercury IT, a third-party IT services provider. The incident, thought to be a ransomware attack, has affected access to data collected and used by a range of healthcare organizations in that country. Te Wachiora, the Maori name taken by the Health New Zealand Government Agency, has disclosed that a cybersecurity incident affecting an IT service provider has impacted access to some Te Waiota Ora data relating to bereavement and cardiac services. The data doesn't appear, the agency says, to have been compromised, but they have been rendered at least temporarily inaccessible. The privacy commissioner became aware of the incident on November 30th, and authorities continue to work on determining the scope of the problem. 
Some in New Zealand, however, are comparing the incident to the cyber attack against Australia's Medibank. The bereavement services mentioned in the disclosure refer to data from coroner's reports and autopsies having become unavailable, which somehow strikes us as a particularly petty and loathsome act on the criminals' parts. It's a further reminder, should any more be needed, that the cyber underworld is pretty short on Robin Hoods. Bleeping Computer, citing sources in the Dutch press, reports that the Netherlands city of Antwerp is grappling with IT service outages that began Monday with a cyber attack believed to be ransomware against Digipolis, an IT provider that serves the city. There's no publicly available timeline for restoration of normal operations. In the meantime, many services, especially healthcare, have reverted to manual backups. It's also not publicly known what ransomware group is behind this attack. Bleeping Computer, however, notes that Ragnar Locker last week dumped a large amount of data taken from a local police unit located in the province of Antwerp. It's unclear whether that earlier incident is related to the widespread outages now being reported in Antwerp itself. The record reports that a threat actor with links to Russia is running phishing campaigns impersonating U.S. defense, aerospace, and logistics companies. Recorded Futures' Insect Group tracks the activity as TAG-53 and sees its operation as overlapping a threat actor other researchers follow as the Callisto Group, Cold River, and by Microsoft, Seaborgium. One of the threat actors' principal goals appears to be credential harvesting— Recorded Future isn't sure if the impersonated entities are the specific targets of the operation, but the researchers note that most of these organizations share a focus around industrial verticals that would likely be of interest to Russia nexus threat groups, especially in light of the war in Ukraine. The companies being impersonated include U.S. firm Global Ordnance, Polish defense company UMO Poland, the not-for-profit Commission for International Justice and Accountability, U.S.-based satellite communications company Blue Sky Network, logistics company DT Gruel, and Russia's Ministry of Internal Affairs. Microsoft's research into and disruption of Seaborgium back in August concluded that the group's principal targets were NATO governments, military organizations, and think tanks, with Ukrainian organizations representing secondary targets. Seaborgium has been associated with Russia's SVR Foreign Intelligence Service and particularly with SVR disinformation efforts. In full disclosure, by the way, we note that Microsoft is a CyberWire partner. Chinese government cyber espionage actor Mustang Panda has been using documents with a Ukrainian war theme as lures in a phishing campaign actively prospecting targets in Europe, the Middle East, Africa, South and East Asia, and Latin America, BlackBerry reports. The sectors the threat group seems most interested in include mining, education, telecoms, financial, CDN companies, internet service providers, internet security firms, and web hosting companies. BlackBerry characterizes the fish bait as well thought out. The payload is usually a version of PlugX, sometimes with minor changes intended to help the malware evade detection. Proton, best known for its secure email service, also offers a range of privacy-enhancing access solutions, including VPNs. 
and the company has drawn unusually close attention from Russian censors who regard it as a threat to their ability to control the Russian population's access to unfiltered information. The measures taken against Proton by Moscow's security organs run from blocking to the troll posting of negative reviews of Proton's services. The New York Times has an account of the back-and-forth between Proton and the Kremlin as the Swiss company works to keep its service accessible to Russian users. It's interesting both as a specific case of the familiar offensive-defensive seesaw that marks conflict generally and as a study in how a particular and not very large company can come to be perceived as a direct enemy of a state. The cloud-native application security firm Apiro this morning reported finding a malicious package in the PyPy package manager. It's appeared in several GitHub repositories and represents a software supply chain threat. Apiro said in their report, the adversary targets mainly Windows users. It intended to grab registry secret keys and passwords in order to leak them to the adversarial entity. Full details on the incident, clearly malicious contamination of the supply chain, are available on Apiro's website. Finally, security shop Group IB reported today on a long-running fraud afflicting victims in most of Europe's francophone countries, Belgium, Luxembourg, and of course, France itself. The criminal group, called Cryptos Labs, has been running an investment scam since 2018 at least. Group IB summarizes the gang's operation as follows. Crypto Labs is a well-organized illicit business that has a hierarchy of kingpins, sales agents, developers, and call center operations that collectively could have earned as much as 480 million euros since its launch, according to Group IB's rough estimates. Group IB was able to trace down a complex network infrastructure of over 300 scam domains hosted on 70 servers and the gang's major weapon, Cryptos Labs Scam Kit. To lure the victim onto fake investment portals, the scammers have been impersonating 40 popular European brands from the banking, fintech, crypto, and asset management industries. It's a standard but unusually well-put-together social engineering operation, and Group IB offers some sound advice that applies in this case and elsewhere. Stay vigilant, verify the source, think twice before you pay, particularly important, and finally, for heaven's sake, if you become a victim, tell law enforcement and don't be shy about warning others. Coming up after the break, Kevin McGee from Microsoft shares thoughts on cybersecurity startups in an economic downturn. Our guest is Ideology's Christina Luttrell to discuss how consumers feel about digital identity, fraud, security, and data privacy. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. 
Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. During this busy holiday season, consumers are spending more than ever online, and studies show their expectations for security are growing as well. Christina Luttrell is CEO of GBG Americas, and their identity verification company Ideology recently released their fifth annual Consumer Digital Identity Study. Christina Luttrell joins us with insights from the report. Consumers are becoming more educated around the issues of fraud. I think there still needs to be a lot more education uh, put out there, uh, just given by the number of phishing uh, schemes that are still going on and the, the, the uh, rise of account takeover. But I do think that consumers are becoming much more educated around what it means to protect their identity and their data and how not to fall prey to some of these fraud schemes that are out there that are, that are, that are preying on, on individuals today. What do you suppose is driving that trend of awareness? Is, is it just that we're seeing it show up in the news cycle more? What do you think is going on there? I do. I think that, um, you know, looking back over the past couple of years with the beginning of the pandemic and so many people having it basically forced, so you know, so many more people to go online to transact in a digital manner where they weren't really um, doing that in the past. And so that really uh, pushed consumers into the digital world, um, accelerated that. And so with that came more fraud, higher levels of fraud. And then, of course, um, like you mentioned, there was more attention brought to that. You know, it seems to me that for a long time, um, organizations, you know, retailers, the, the companies that people interact with every day online, they were reticent to put in a lot of security uh, techniques because they were afraid of increasing friction and taking away convenience and seeing that consumers really prioritized convenience. Have we seen a shift there? Are, are people starting to to adjust that balance of security versus convenience? Uh, they are. They really are. I mean, it, it is still a bit of a delicate balance, but when we look at the data from our report, 68% of consumers uh, that responded to our survey say that they now prioritize security over um, ease of onboarding. Um, mm. So that, you know, that is a stark contrast to what we've seen in the past where it was, you know, if it's not easy, I'm not going to do it. Now consumers are placing a higher level of, of responsibility on businesses to make sure that they are using some sort of strong verification um, and in a very secure onboarding process when they want to provide that company with their data. Um, you know, it, it, it is, it, but like I said, it is, a, it is a balancing act because 
they want it to be seamless, kind of uh, easy to get through, but they're still expecting that businesses are going to put them through a secure process as well. You know, based on the information that you all have gathered here, what are your recommendations for the folks who are providing these services, who who have to uh, interact with these consumers and provide them uh, with a, a satisfactory experience? Yeah, so I think, you know, at the end of the day, we're all consumers, right? So um, I, I kind of think about what I would want to go through when I'm signing up for uh, an, a new service, a bank account or, you know, P2P or in, anything where I'm having to provide some information. First off, how is my information being used? So I think businesses can do, businesses that do really well are businesses that are very transparent with, with why they're collecting information from you, your, your personal data, and what they're going to do with that data, and then how they're going to store that data if they're going to store that data. So being very transparent up front, hi, we need this information. It's for regulatory purposes or KYC. We need to make sure that you are who you, who you claim to be, right? So being very transparent about why you're asking for this data. And then what are you going to do with that data, right? We're going to use it for sanctions checks, or we're going to use it for identity verification, or we're going to use it for step-up verification, right? Helping the consumer really understand how their data is going to be used. And then if you're going to store that data, how are you protecting that data? If you're going to keep that on that consumer. And really being transparent with the consumer, hey, we're encrypting this data at rest. and Here's, here's our encryption policy. Just things that let the consumer know that their information is going to be protected. I think that's really important. That's important for me when I provide my information to any company. I want to know what are you doing with it and how are you going to protect this information? Um, I think also in terms of having an easy onboarding process, you really want to make sure that it's as friction-free as possible, right? So having consumers come in and provide you that information and only applying friction when it's absolutely needed, right? So having some some layers of verification to where, you know, maybe there's something a little bit suspicious about this consumer's data or where they might be coming from their device. And so we're going to apply a little friction through some step of authentication, maybe ask them to present um, a, a, a picture of their their driver's license um, on the on on their mobile device or on the web, right? So there's some things that can be done there in having a really customizable solution that allows the business to say, "Okay, you're good. Uh, come on in. Uh, the door is open, or you need to go into a waiting period because we need to verify some additional information." Applying those layers of verification. I think really provide for a much a much better and more user-friendly process for consumers. That's Christina Luttrell from GBG Americas. I'm pleased to be joined once again by Kevin McGee. He is the Chief Security Officer at Microsoft Canada. Kevin, it's always great to welcome you back. Uh, You know, we're we're seeing some volatility in uh, the economy here and uh, seeing reports of uh, even cybersecurity companies having layoffs and and things like that. I'm curious on your take on this. I mean, if I'm a a startup trying to take my place in the industry here, how am I doing timing-wise? Thanks for having me back, Dave. Um, I am having sort of flashbacks of the dot-com uh, bubble burst. Uh, now, having been an entrepreneur during that uh, that stage of my life and having uh, been running a startup when that happened mm. at the time, um, 
So years of reflection uh, have given me, I think, some wisdom in this area, at least I hope. Um, but I, in my uh, spare time, I also work with the Toronto Metropolitan University as an entrepreneur in residence and work with a lot of startups. So they're looking for some advice to some of us that have uh, survived and were veterans of the dot-com crash. So I will say I'm not an economist. I'm not a financial expert. I've just uh, took a lot of hard knocks on the dot-com uh, when it burst uh, the bubble, and I'm hoping to share some of my uh, my thoughts and ideas with uh, with the startup founders of today. What are some of the things that you're sharing with them? Well, I think the root of the problem is that you know global inflation has spiked, and that's really making it difficult for future valuations. Growth companies are based on future sales or future valuations, and as uh, inflation erodes those future valuations, it becomes more difficult um, to hit that unicorn status. So to make a, a one billion US unicorn status, you might be needing to demonstrate now $200 million in revenue. The The days of 35 times earnings uh, valuations are probably gone. It might be more like eight now. Again, I'm not a financial expert, but this is the sort of thing that I'm seeing. So venture markets are taking their cues from the public markets and they're waiting clarity, which means they're slowing down, which means that uh, it may be more difficult for startups to raise funds and they might have to pivot how they're they're building their business right now to be successful. But it also represents a number of huge opportunities, um, these uh, these downturns or these slowdowns in the market for startups to capitalize if they do things right. And how can they take advantage of those opportunities? I mean, how do they best position themselves? Well, one thing, fundraising is much harder. So they need to be open to lower valuations. But it's also a chance to look at expanding your runway, you know, building that cash reserve or whatnot, maybe focusing on 2x growth instead of 10x growth, tempering the growth um, to build a stronger uh, revenue-based business. Um, Freezing your cost structure may allow you to avoid layoffs and slowing down hiring may do something similar. But if you think about it, some of the greatest tech companies in the world were founded during recessions or or downturns. Um, Bill and Dave founded Hewlett-Packard and arguably Silicon Valley during the Great Recession. Um, As everything becomes harder in raising cash, some things become easier. There's more talent available. You can refocus on the fundamentals to build a stronger business instead of chasing valuations. And let's face it, in cybersecurity, we have a unique perspective. We're not building pets.com, the startups of today. Um, They're building real businesses that solve real business problems that aren't going away. So I think there's a a different feel this time than the dot-com bubble, which was more um, sort of creativity unleashed on the internet. Um, The startups of today are solving real business problems. And if they can weather the storm, we'll likely come out much stronger. What's your advice for that startup who's looking to set themselves apart from the the other folks who are hoping to catch the attention of of some of those venture capitalists? I think it's really, um, and I've always focused on fundamentals. Are you building a real product, Um, not looking for an exit? Are you building a revenue stream? Are you proving value? Um, Are you making money? Are you asking for money for your proof of concepts and your pilots? You know, are you getting value in exchange for value? If people won't pay for your product, it's probably, um, you know, not quite ready or whatnot. So moving to um, revenue as a way to fund your growth as opposed to large raises can be uh, a much greater uh, much greater approach. Um, also just really focusing on um, problems that are 
unique to the market that are innovative, not the Me Too type problems uh, that can uh, really make a difference in how uh, segments of the market that are untouched. I think the small business market is a huge opportunity. Most uh, startups seem to focus on enterprise uh, where there's a lot of uh, noise and in, in, in competition as well too. So I think that uh, there are tons of opportunities out there. Slowing down, addressing your product, addressing your structure, and addressing you know where you're targeting the market is a is a great opportunity that this uh, this downturn or recession is going to provide. All right, well, interesting insights, Kevin McGee. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The CyberWire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Guru Prakash, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfand, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Maria Varmatsis, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Millie Lardy, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Catherine Murphy, Janine Daly, Jim Hoshite, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, Simone Petrella, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. here at N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. 
SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 